Welcome to the Genuine Admissions Podcast, where we talk to members across our community about all things Loomis. My name is Amy Thompson. I'm the Dean of Enrollment, and I am also your podcast host. Hello, everyone. This is Amy Thompson. I'm the Dean of Enrollment at Loomis, and welcome to Genuine Admissions. I am really excited today to bring to you a conversation with two of our outstanding faculty members who are here to talk today about teaching, learning, and engaging with students and faculty across the curriculum at Loomis Chafee. Thank you so much for joining us today, Sarah and Fiona. And I'm going to actually kick it to you first to introduce yourselves. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the incredible Kravis Center for Excellence in Teaching. Sarah, would you mind introducing yourself first? I'd be honored to, Amy, and thank you so much for inviting us here for this today. Um, As Amy said, my name is Sarah DeVoe, and I am the director of the Kravis Center for Excellence in Teaching. Uh, Currently, I've been in boarding schools um, for over 30 years now. Um, And (laughs) a long time. It's been wonderful. Um, And I've been at Loomis for seven. And my, uh, although I've held a variety of roles in the past, um, from teaching to coaching to running the yearbook and the newspaper um, at other schools, my current role focuses, um, I have this great honor of focusing solely on teachers Mm -hmm. and teacher growth. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is where I am now. Obviously, I focus on teacher um, and teacher growth because at the center of what we all do at Loomis Chafee is in the interest of student learning and student growth. Mm -hmm. Um, So our work trickles directly down to students as well. Excellent. And we're going to talk a little bit more in depth about the role of the Kravis Center, what the Kravis Center does, and how that impacts our students every day. So thank you for that. Fiona, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, Thank you so much, Amy, for having both of us here. And um, it's great for me to kind of get an opportunity to talk a lot about what we do in the Kravis Center, especially as it's related to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And my role in the Kravis Center is uh, to help facilitate faculty incorporating DEI into their classrooms, to address any challenges that that is presenting for them in the classroom, um, to also help provide materials as well for faculty. But a little of the backstory for me, uh, I earned my PhD in African-American and Latino literature and theory at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. Go Tar Heels! (laughs) And I have taught for, gosh, maybe 20 Five plus years. Mm-hmm. My students are constantly younger and I'm constantly older. And <laughs> so I've taught in a wide variety of institutions from um, Research One universities to small liberal arts colleges. And then I would say that for the last maybe 12 years or so, I've been working in boarding schools. And in fact, this is actually my second go around at Loomis. Mm-hmm. I was here 2008 to 2011. And I am back. And that says a lot, actually, about Loomis, which I hope we will Mm -hmm. get into about why I decided to return Um, in between. I also taught for five years at Proctor Academy in New Hampshire, where I led their um, multicultural uh, department up there and uh, led uh, the student diversity committee. And um, when I was at Loomis years ago, I also worked in the Multicultural Affairs Office back then, which is now the Center for DEI. And um, I'm just excited to be back here doing this work. 
And you are also a Luma Shafee parent. I am also a Luma Shafee parent. <laughs> yes, little known fact that my daughter likes to keep under the wraps. <laughs> and um, also, I can't believe that neither of you mentioned that you are also former teachers of my children, oh, and yeah, I can personally right. attest about the quality of teaching that both of you bring to the classroom. So from a personal and professional standpoint, thank you. Thank um, you. So I want to jump right into really the, the biggest question to start, which is, what is the Kravis Center? It is not something that is, um, I guess, ubiquitous at schools, uh, secondary schools, and uh, it is something that's uh, been around quite some time. And I would love, Sarah, for you to talk just a little bit about what the Kravis Center does. Sure, I would love to. So the Kravis Center for Excellence in Teaching um, is a center that, as I said um, a little bit ago, it, we focus on teacher growth. We focus on teacher learning. I give a little anecdote here. I started my career um, you know, over 30 years ago at a school, and about a week before school started, I was given a book, <laughs> and I was shown my classroom, and that was it. Um, and I remember at that point not really thinking anything of it because that's what people did. That was sort of the norm 30 years ago is just get in there and teach them. So I did. I was observed once that whole year. I was told I was doing great, 22 years old, fresh out of college. Um, there was really no focus on growth. And that was one of the things that I learned over my career is that I just kept growing and I wanted to grow and continue to grow and, and be what we aim for at Loomis Ch Chafee with our teachers is be a reflective practitioner mm -hmm. to constantly focus on that. So that is the mission um, mission of the Kravis Center. We seek to instill in faculty a sense, um, grow the same sense of growth mindset that we aim to instill in our students. So how does that manifest itself in terms of um, some programming or support or initiatives. I think, for example, uh, when we were building our new schedule um, years ago now, mm -hmm. you know, we were specifically building it around what we thought would be the best approach mm -hmm. to teaching and learning. And so the schedule itself, for example, changing from a traditional kind of eight-period-a-day schedule to a four-period-a-day yeah. schedule to work in specific time for professional development for teachers on Thursdays. I'm wondering if there's mm -hmm. particular examples that you can give around what this actually looks like. Sure. So um, I'll just very briefly say that intentionality with which the school took two or three years to to come up with a new schedule, mm -hmm. one that really had the neuroscience of learning um, at its core, how do students learn best, um, is one of the reasons why I, I came to Loomis Chafee um, seven years ago. Mm -hmm. So um, as far as programming goes, about five years ago, we revamped our um, what we call PD growth evaluation cycle. And one of the things that came out of that was um, the benefit for faculty of being able to engage in a PD opportunity, some type of learning growth opportunity that they identify and choose every year that they're not in an evaluation cycle. And that is one thing that differenti differentiates um, Loomis from other schools. When we were doing the research, um, we very quickly found out when we were talking to other schools that schools do not, um, as in other professions, really say that, you know what, you have to keep, continue to learn. We want you in some type of learning opportunity every year because growth is so important. Um, so one of the things that's come out of that is that the Kravis Center um, has six, this year we have six internal professional growth opportunities. 
um, from the new faculty cohort where we work with all faculty new to Loomis. Um, we meet about 14 times throughout the year. Two, Fiona's running what we call a BLT or a mm -hmm. book on learning and teaching for mm -hmm. faculty. Um, I'm running the Kravis Council. Um, we're working on the portrait of an LC educator. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's several others, uh, which is actually um, part of the Kravis Center has a podcast as well, which if you are interested, you can go to the Kravis Center podcast and listen to more about those. Um, but it's the intentionality where we identify areas where we want to see where we think faculty would like to grow. Um, faculty have a voice in that. And actually, a couple of these are run by faculty outside of the Kravis Center. Um, and so that's, that is one of the areas I think that we are particularly strong is identifying the needs of faculty and then creating the internal programming um, to meet those needs of mm -hmm. faculty. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about areas of growth for faculty, one of the things that occurs to me is I know that there's particular um, desire for growth around uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, yes. and especially in regards to curriculum. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit about the work that the Kravis Center has taken on really for a few years now regarding the intersection. And certainly, Fiona, this is something that uh, you've been leading uh, this intersection, yeah. particularly with our Center for DEI. Um, wondering if one of you wouldn't mind talking a little bit about that. Maybe Sarah, you could talk a little bit about the history behind sure, it. And then Fiona, sure. you could talk a little bit more sure. specifically about what's been going on the last two years. Right. Um, so in the fall of 2020, um, Sheila tasked the Kravis Center um, with what she asked for was a DEI curricular audit. Um, she really wanted to take a really deep look at what we were teaching our students, the resources, the articles, the videos, um, what was the curriculum, what were we using, and how were those choices made? And I should say, we have, we're a team of five in the Kravis Center. Um, and at that time, we had two DEI curricular um, uh, assistant directors for DEI curricular and pedagogical development, Fiona and Miles Morgan. Um, and I went to Fiona and Miles and said, this is what we've been tasked with. And interestingly, what came out of that, it took us a very short period of time to realize um, that this work, again, it, it would, again, it differentiates Loomis Chafee. This work had not necessarily been done at the boarding school level. Mm -hmm. We found universities and colleges that had done this. And so when we were looking through their audits, it was far reaching and well beyond just what, just the curriculum, just the book. So over, it took us, um, about a year, a little over a year and a half to actually design the this audit. It's a self, it's not an evaluation. It is a self-reflective um, audit that, that all the faculty um, have begun to take now. But we realized that it had far, it was far reaching. It was pedagogy. It was how we teach our students. It was classroom climate. It was social justice. How are we, um, how are we addressing those issues and those needs as well? Um, and, and so it's been a two-year process. We, um, two-and-a-half-year process, we began with the development of the audit. We sent it to um, CAIS, which is the um, Connecticut Association of Independent Schools, to get their eyes on it. We then had several focus groups um, between both student focus groups and teacher focus groups to take a look at this. And then we piloted it last spring with nine faculty members and got some amazing feedback. Um, it's really been this wonderful iterative process. And we just, we have, um, 
we gave part one in the January 3rd Faculty Day. And Fiona, I'm going to pass it along to you so you can talk about all the important work you did. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Sarah. As Sarah has kind of laid out for folks here, it has been a really deliberate, intentional process. And it has led us to develop a tool that I think is really um, powerful and important that I'm really proud of. And in terms of the tool, it is really a self-reflective, non-evaluative tool mm -hmm. for faculty to use to reflect on their incorporation of DEI, both in their curriculum, but also in their pedagogy and classroom practices. And that is also really important, I think, to understand that DEI is not just about content. It's not just about curriculum. It is also about practices and pedagogy in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And what does that look like? What does that mean? Um, that means perhaps in the classroom that faculty are paying real attention to, for example, uh, student pronouns in the classroom, that faculty are paying real close attention to the ways in which some of the language, some of the text land with our students and how we are mindful of that as we incorporate those things into our classroom. It also means uh, paying attention to students who may need a different time for processing or students who are coming with different learning needs and supports. So all of that is part of DEI. So we take a very broad view of DEI. And uh, for us, in terms of the rollout, our faculty just took the or completed it in our January 3rd PD day. We also then built in 30 minutes or more for faculty to debrief and process. And one of the important pieces coming out of that first part of the audit is faculty set goals. They set goals immediate short-term and long-term to work towards. So that's also a big takeaway from the audit is how can faculty assess themselves, reflect. As we said all the time, faculty do this work really, really well, and we also all have growth areas. And part of our work in the Kravis Center now is to support faculty in attaining those goals that they've set for themselves and for us in the Kravis Center to build out programming to support faculty to attain those goals. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Thank you for going into this level of description because I think that it is, um, it's been a significant initiative. And I think too, and Sarah, when you started talking about it, you referenced Sheila, who of course is Dr. Sheila Colbert, the head of our school. And one of the things that I think about is how did, how did that how did that even begin? And a lot of it was, is of course, always goes back to students, right? Mm -hmm. And so we talk a lot about teaching and learning with the Kravis Center, but Sarah, you and I were talking a little bit before we started about how this actually impacts students. Mm -hmm. And some of this certainly was student-driven in the sense of students, uh, students have a voice at Loomis. And while it wasn't something that was completely student-driven, certainly the the reflection that students had about um, the idea of kind of windows and mirrors in the classroom was something that was important in, I think, our faculty also leaning into looking at their work and why they're teaching, because it, it, why they're teaching what they're teaching, because ultimately it's impacting students' lives and their education at the school. So I'm wondering if we could kind of touch on that a little bit. I think it's a really important piece, Amy, and as you're, you were speaking and as Sarah was speaking about how we uh, scaffolded this uh, rollout of the audit, it's really important to emphasize the ways in which students were involved in student voice here. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, we had student focus groups, but we also worked very closely with student leaders, uh, students who are leaders of affinity groups on campus, 
I am now going to do a follow-up meeting. Um, I have a dinner scheduled with the International Students Ambassadors Mm -hmm. to kind of now talk to them a little bit more about we've done this first part of the audit. Here are some of the things that it involved to get more voice and feedback from them. We have worked incredibly closely with Ashley Augustin, who is the Dean of DEI here and runs the DEI Center. for, And so she has been integral to the process. And we will also be meeting again in some shape or form with affinity groups this spring as mm-hmm. well. So students are really having a powerful voice. They literally looked at the audit, all of the questions, and gave us copious feedback, both written, both verbal, which then allowed us to go back to the questions to see, are we really serving students with the questions we're asking? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah. One other thing that I'll point out um, is that when we did the audit, so we, again, over two years developing the audit, some really great work went into that. Um, we're never quite sure how initiatives are going to go over with the faculty, what the reaction is going to be. And in that um in the reflection process, they were asked to comment on the audit the faculty were. What was this process like, this part one of the audit? audit. And interestingly, every single person, almost, let's say 95% of them, said some sort of thank you mm. for giving to Loomis Chafee, to the Kravis Center, um, not only for the audit, but giving the faculty time. Mm-hmm. Um, time is such a precious commodity. And we have identified this as a really valuable, valuable use of our time. Um, the other thing I'll say about the audit is it's not, we're not done. We will do this. This is a reflection tool that the faculty will use um, throughout the years. And we'll obviously modify the audit mm-hmm. as we see fit whenever we need to. Um, but this is something that they will come back to because we believe in growth. We're not mm-hmm. done mm-hmm. with any of this just because we took part one and tar- we're taking tar- part two in the faculty day um, in March. But this is a continual process. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is not, this, I'm in a very different place in 2023 than I was in 1995. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I'm proud of that. Right. I really want that. I, faculty have, have really embraced this entire process. Well, Loomis has always been a school that's very much embraced innovation when it comes yes. to education. Yes. Yes. And um, in terms of, you know, Fiona, you had referenced earlier kind of leaving the school and coming back. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to assume that perhaps that approach has something to do with that decision. But I'm wondering <laughs> if you would talk a little bit about what drew you back to Loomis Chafee totally. in regards to being a faculty member and a teacher. I would be happy to, and I often say this to students and to parents, the fact that I am back at Loomis speaks volumes about Loomis, Mm -hmm. and that I'm back, and I have a daughter who will graduate this year, Mm -hmm. and so for me, when I first came to Loomis, I actually had, at that point, only ever taught at the college level, and I had a good friend of mine whose parents had taught for 30-plus years at an unnamed nearby school mm-hmm. <laughs> and they kept saying to me try boarding schools try independent schools I think you're going to find what you're looking for and I came to Loomis and was just astounded to Sarah's point about the faculty mm-hmm. the attention that faculty pay to their classes to also reflecting even back then in 2008 I was so impressed with how faculty were always asking how is this serving students how are these assessments working? Are we doing it best? What can we do better? The collaboration among faculty is such a hallmark to me mm-hmm. as a teacher. Mm-hmm. And that was something, I'll be honest, I haven't found at other schools to the mm-hmm. level I have here. And that is one of the pieces that really drew me back here. And um, for me, as a parent, 
knowing this, the kinds of teaching practices here that my, the experience my daughter would get mm-hmm. was exactly why Loomis was a fit for her and for me. And it mm-hmm. was really just such a gift that we both were able to thread that needle mm-hmm. and be back here. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, only, it's only exponentially grown since when I was here before mm-hmm. in terms of what's happening. And I think largely, in fact, in part to the Kravis Center and Sarah in particular, to mm-hmm. really leaning into that reflective practice. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Gravis Center. <laughs> um, yeah, so one of the things that I was thinking about a little bit when you were talking about the faculty and leaning in and, and innovation is, and, and we haven't talked about this before, but I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit about the Grading for Equity mm-hmm. project. And sure. I'm not, you know, just because that's mm-hmm. something I think that we've been talking a lot about in the last year. Right. And uh, what is that all about? I'm so glad you asked that question again. It just, it goes back to the intentionality of the faculty, first of all, but it also speaks to the process we've gone through, and I'll, and I'll talk about it a little bit in a second, but it's been a, over a year, and it has challenged teachers and our practices more than, and again, in my years, more than I've seen faculty challenged for a really long time. Mm. Um, it's really difficult to challenge a practice, especially a grading practice, that you've held on to as fact, mm-hmm. um, as this is how I was graded, so this is how students graded. So I'll just, I'll throw that out there first. Um, but this is um, Grading for Equity is a book written by Joe Feldman. Um, and what the book allows is it gives us three pillars to look at when we're thinking about grading. Our grades need to be accurate, mathematically accurate. Grades need to be motivational. Mm-hmm. And grades also need to be bias-resistant, anti-bias. Mm-hmm in our grades. every All of those we all agree to. Um, but some of the practices that we've really had to take a hard look at is why, for example, does um, the American education system still adhere to a zero to 100 scale? Hmm. Why do we adhere to 50 ways to fail? Mm-hmm. I mean, why don't we have 50 ways to get an A? Um, <laughs> we don't. Um, so we're really looking right now at... Um, at eliminating the zero to 50. Mm-hmm. Why do we need, why should a student um, who earns, say, does, has a bad day, they didn't sleep well, they got a 35 on a quiz, that 35 um, can really be unmotivational, first of all, um, but also really pull down their ability to want to succeed, just mm-hmm. to want to grow as a student. Um, sometimes it's hard to recover from that, mm-hmm. and everybody has a bad day. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe I didn't learn a concept last night. Maybe I had a fight with a roommate or I had a bad day on the, you know, squash court or whatever it might be, um, we have to be really cognizant of that. Um, So it's opened up a dialogue, much greater dialogue between faculty and students asking the students questions. Hey, tell me what happened. What's going on right now? Um, But that 35, they did show some understanding. So we're, we're reworking things right now to say that a 35 might actually not be an F. Mm -hmm. It's, it could be it doesn't sound great, but it could be a grade in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, but that just that grade in the system, 60s alerts the student to, okay, something I didn't understand, where are the gaps? Um, and it also allows the student to see a path forward, um, mm-hmm. to see that that's 60. I can, I can recover from that. Um, right. So we're trying to, again, create a healthier relationships between students and their grades um, mm-hmm. to make sure the grades demonstrate a student's understanding at a particular moment in time. 
Excellent. So knowing that, Fiona, I'm wondering as a classroom teacher, if uh, there's anything that's come out of this discussion or anything else that's come out of the Kravis Center that you can think of that you are using as a result of some of the PD or some of the conversations that have been happening uh, around better teaching that maybe you were doing in the past mm. um, that either you've decided yeah. no longer serve your purposes or things that you've tried that are new, just to give us some concrete examples around that. A couple of ones, as Sarah was speaking, I thought a lot about uh, shifting away from grading homework or in with any significant value, right? And this mindset shift that I've been working on is that we're not grading students' behavior. Mm -hmm. We're grading their mastery of content, of skills. And I would emphasize skills, really, not the content. Uh, and I think that is a mind shift, right? That and that is has then come in, come to impact, particularly for me. I teach our college level junior English seminar, and we have a cohort that does that. And for us as a cohort, we have now stopped putting a lot of grading weight on homework assignments. That doesn't mean that students aren't accountable. They can be accountable in other ways. Uh, we give maybe very low stakes grades, like a point, but to kind of move away from emphasis on behavior, that it is really about mastery, mastery of skills uh, and content in the classroom. So that's been a big shift for me. Uh, in terms of how has this work at Kravis Center shaped perhaps maybe specific to DEI uh, in my classroom? I mean, there's so many, many, many ways, but one of the things I can think of concretely is for us, those of us who are teaching um, literature by Black American writers, we have worked really hard to think about how we teach both um, the inevitable challenges, perhaps trauma that exists in those texts and balancing it with teaching resistance and teaching joy. And mm -hmm. so we've talked a lot about how we try to avoid teaching a singular Black narrative of pain and to make sure we're balancing it to think about also resistance in those texts and also to emphasize black joy, black love. And that's been a big piece for us, for DEI. Excellent. Thank you. Those are really helpful, concrete examples around that. So uh, shifting gears just for a moment, one of the things I'm thinking that our audience might might be thinking a little bit about is, okay, so you know, the main reason why families are looking at schools like Loomis Chafee is because of the academic program, right? And so mm -hmm. the strength of academics year after year when we do surveys about why did you come to Loomis, the number one reason is always academics. What are some things, Sarah, maybe you could address this first, that you think that families should be looking at when they're looking at how to assess an institution's academic program, uh, you know, and, and I'm specifically thinking about teachers, right? Faculty. We have a podcast that we did. I did last year with uh, Andrew Matlack, our Dean of Faculty and Tim Lawrence, our Director of Studies around how we build curriculum and how we um, design curriculum around student, um, you know, student interests and talents. But what I'm more thinking about is I'm a parent and maybe one of the things I'm thinking about is, okay, how do I figure out a strong academic program? Is it the average class size? Is it the number of advanced degrees on the faculty? I can't, you know, I'm not going to be going to classes all day, every day to get a sense of how good of a teaching faculty we have. How, what can they look for? Such a good question, Amy. And I would say yes, yes, and yes to everything you just said. <laughs> um, so we do, I, I, I want to touch on a couple things here. Um, we do have a very large number of PhDs um, and a large number of faculty with master's degrees. I don't know what the exact percentage is, mm -hmm. but we have 
a lot, which speaks to our excellence in content knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is one piece of it. Obviously, we want to make sure the teachers, they, they know their topic, their subject, their discipline. Um, and yet we also want to make sure that they understand the importance of schools such as Loomis, the, the boarding school aspect, that we are at our core, we are a community that cares deeply about each and every one of our students. Mm-hmm. So these teachers, yes, I will teach my, I teach French, I will teach, I have one section, French three, I adore them. Um, they are the highlight of my week every time I get to see that, see them. Um, but I also need, when I say to see them, it also means I see them, I hear them, I understand them, I know what they do after school, I know where they, where they yes. live, I know if they're boarders or if they're day students, who their advisors are, who do I talk to if I do mm-hmm. see something crop up. Um, most of our, I mean, I would say that 100% of the of boarding schools out there and independent schools in general, and um, I'm a public school kid, my public school would probably say the same thing, that we're all communities. Mm-hmm. Um, that we're going to hear over and over again. Um, and this is no different. One of the things you want to look for is how the school promotes that community mm-hmm. and how well does the, do those teachers know your these students. Mm-hmm. Um, so if there's a way that you can ask that question when you're on these different campuses, um, I understand community is important. How do you do that? How mm-hmm. do you embrace community? And that's one of the things we talk about in the Kravis Center a lot is using the first five, maybe sometimes seven, eight, nine minutes of class mm-hmm. to slow down a little bit, ask the students how they're, how they're doing. And what that's doing is creating the bandwidth for the students to leave everything that might not be going. These are adolescents. I mean, things, it, it is tough. We all move through adolescence, not an easy period of time, time of life. Mm-hmm. Um, but we ask faculty to walk in, make sure they engage with their kids, casual question first, how are you doing? Let's check in. And it allows them to put that on the back burner to say, okay, I'm here right now. I'm focused in physics. Um, and and I can I'm going to get down to work and mm-hmm. just really we talk to teachers a lot about slowing down a little bit and allows us to speed up. Mm-hmm. So academically, yes, we are an academic institution. We also have excellence in just a variety of other areas, um, but the more parents can understand that who the teachers are and how they're looking out for their students or for their children, I think is imperative. Mm -hmm. I would would, add to Sarah's point, uh, which is something I've been working tremendously on, especially I would say coming out of COVID is that SEL, Mm -hmm. social emotional learning. Mm. And to kind of piggyback, I firmly believe it is because of all that SEL that we do each day, question of the day, we have a puzzle in my classroom. <laughs> we share my, seriously, if I don't have a question of the day, I have several students who will like literally <laughs> won't start class. Mm-hmm. Um, but all that work preps them to do the really heavy intellectual work. Mm-hmm. And yeah. for me, particularly in the classes that I teach, I also teach a college level Harlem Renaissance uh, senior seminar. I teach a race, roles and religion senior seminar. There's some heavy intellectual, emotional things happening mm-hmm. in the text we read, in the conversations we're having. And it is crucial to build that rapport, that trust in my classroom so that students can go into those deep topics and have a sense of emotional security. So I would say mm-hmm. completely what Sarah's saying, that you, if, if you can find that, and that would be crucial to supporting the level of academics, because I don't think you can have one without the other. Right, exactly. We can. Just, we are. We are content experts. We right. are. Once we work in the Kravis Center, we are. We are um, 
pedagogical experts. We are, well, we are on our, I always say, I hate using the word expert sometimes because it, it signifies perhaps a, an, a stopping. Like if mm -hmm. I'm an expert, why would I need to keep growing? Mm -hmm. But we're all building and growing. But that piece has become particularly important. Um, it was important pre-pandemic. Yeah, it's taken it's on a whole now. new focus mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. we, we care deeply about these students. Well, and I'm so glad that we are wrapping up this conversation with the word students, right? Mm -hmm. Because that is really mm -hmm. the center of everything, everything mm -hmm. that we do in this community. And I think that the conversation that we've had today around around how we uh, are our best selves for the common good, whether we are our faculty ourselves or whether or not we, you know, we are instilling it in our students um, is what the school is all about. And it's a mission-driven institution in every way. And the Kravitz Center is certainly very reflective of that. Just wondering if there's any last things that you'd like to mention that we haven't touched upon uh, before we wrap up. Um, I, I'll point out a couple of things we're working on for yeah, the, um, great. for the near future. Great. So the Kravis Center, um, we are, we have begun this year to, um, create some podcasts. Mm. So we have the first one coming out soon. It sort of gives an overview of, who the, of the Kravis Center, what we do and all the important team members on, in the Kravis Center. Excellent. Um, we are also hosting a conference in the spring on generative AI. Mm. Um, Matt Johnson, who is the assistant director in charge of academic technology in the Kravis Center, has done an amazing job of not of allowing faculty not to run in fear of things like chat or admissions GPT. officers, exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not to run in fear, but perhaps understand. We they've given a great talk to the faculty about mm -hmm. how it works and all yes. of that. So we are putting together in, in um, conjunction with the Purse Hub for Innovation, the FI mm -hmm. and the Kravis Center, we are putting together a conference in the spring for area schools. Excellent. Um, because I think we are taking the lead in that. And um, if you're interested in what we do too, you can subscribe to the Monday Musings. Love the Monday Musings. <laughs> <laughs> subscribe to Monday Musings. Um, so that's just some initiatives Excellent. we have. Thank you, yeah. Sarah. I would just add one more thing to think about the academic rigor and say that for me as a parent and as an educator, DEI goes hand, hand in hand with academic rigor and academic mm -hmm. excellence. And we, our student body is global. We mm -hmm. are preparing students for a global world. And mm -hmm. if students do not have fluency in DEI, they are going to be behind. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I cannot stress that enough that those two yeah. things are not separate. I know sometimes folks think that way, but I think they are integral to one another. So that would be something I would look for as a parent yes. for my student, yeah. no matter my background, where I'm coming from. Uh, I'll give a shout out to some of the other work I do on campus that I forgot about that supports <laughs> faculty is I, along with a couple of other wonderful colleagues here, run our SEED seminars. And yes. SEED is a national program that supports uh, faculty, particularly at the uh, secondary level in independent schools, to incorporate a DEI with a particular emphasis on equity in our classrooms. And so I've run SEED since 2009 when I got SEED trained, sponsored mm -hmm. by Loomis on my mm -hmm. first tour of duty and have run SEED ever since in various institutions. And I am running a group right now with a wonderful crew of almost 14 faculty. And we meet mm -hmm. once a month and we really delve deeply into a myriad range of DEI topics. Sarah is an alum mm -hmm. who worked with me in SEED in 2020-21. And so that's, I think, to me, another hallmark of what Loomis is doing in terms of really preparing faculty to hold space 
and bring diversity, equity, and inclusion into their classrooms. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you both so much, given especially how busy you both are for taking the time to come in and speak with us today on Genuine Admissions. Uh, I always love having the opportunity to dive deeper into what's going on in different areas on campus. And I think this one in particular is so, so crucial to the continued growth of everyone here on campus, so crucial to the students' experience. And, and really, at the end of the day, the sense of belonging um, that all of us have in this community, as you talked about, Sarah. You know, we are building communities here, uh, but we don't stop there. And the work that the Kravis Center does is uh, one is work that continues to grow uh, exponentially all the time. And so, thank you so much for taking the time to come in and tune into those Kravis Center podcasts, everybody. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for being here today, and thank you for listening. Thank you, thank you Amy. Oh.